Go ahead, skin it. Skin that smoke wagon and see what happens. Listen, mister, I'm, I'm getting awful tired of your... I'm getting tired of your gas. Now jerk that pistol and go to work. Nobody gave a shit about... When we first came up. Anyone with half a brain, myself included, thought it was destined to fail spectacularly. But you got lucky. All you motherfuckers are gonna pay. You are the ones who are the ball lickers. We're, we're making a podcast. Please clap. And welcome back, Reboot Deboot. I am your co-host, Griffin. Howdy. Howdy do. Alec, you're, you're also. Hi there. Hold here. Reboot Deboot here. Hey there. Yeah, I was trying to. Yeah. I don't know. Couldn't, couldn't get it. Did not end up Western. <laughs> How you been, Alex? Good. Good. Into holiday break time great but not holiday review right what well the place where i work is just closed until the beginning of the year so oh shit so you really are on break i am <sighs> nice yep nice buddy like Woo. First, first actual day of it starting this morning mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yep yep cool yeah uh, how you how you been doing? I've been good, man. Uh, you know, just watching stuff, reading stuff, uh, a little off camera, a little off record stuff. Uh, told Alex we might be adopting a cat, so there might be a new addition to the family here. Um, aside from that, man, Christmas is right around the corner. You know. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Y'all. The that. gifts are all gifted, and you know we got one or two tiny things to pick up, but that's a quick run of the store. I also have to uh, <clears throat> have all the all the gifts are got. I haven't wrapped anything, and I do need to go and get like gorilla glue or something for one for one thing. Can you say who? Can you say what you got, or do they yeah. listen? Oh, they definitely don't. Um, but I got okay. a little. I got them these went on eBay and got these like little teak like animal carvings the two of them are like geese and on one of them it's like this little wooden base and there's like a narrow piece of wood like a little wooden dowel that goes up and then this goose like sits on the dowel and the dowel broke or was broken uh, okay. um, mm-hmm. but that should be an easy fix yeah I watched that movie uh, who else? Who? last night oh <laughs> oh, how, was it good? The Eli Roth one? Yeah, I didn't know it was Eli Roth until the end credits rolled, but it made sense uh, <laughs> upon reflection. Is it good? It was pretty solid. I think it lost a little bit of steam in the end, and the killer is kind of goofy looking, but uh, it was really fun otherwise. What do you mean, the Pilgrim? Yeah, it looks like a it looks like a spirit Halloween Guy Fox. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, uh, yeah, did you check cool. out any of the uh, the Adams Family movies, Hellbender or 
Oh, where the devil rooms <laughs> or any of that? Like Adam's Family Values? No, uh, no, I have not watched any of those yet. I really only, okay. I've only watched the three, well, the two movies for this, and then that this week. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, yeah. Um, not much, man. Just like getting ready for the holidays and watching Castle, and then we'll back into watching Castle, and then. Uh, yeah. I watched the first episode. I'm going to watch more of it, but of the show called Resident Alien. Does that name mean anything to you? I told you about that weeks ago. Yeah. Weeks ago? It's oh, Alan. I watched or like, it before. Weeks like ago. weeks or months ago. Yeah. Okay. Resident Alien, Alan Tudyk. Yeah, it's a good show, isn't it? Yeah, it's pretty fun. Yeah, we just finished season one not too long ago. We started season two. Nice. Uh, spoiler alert, but not really. Uh, Nathan Fillion has a surprising cameo in it. Yeah, I know. I saw the first. Well, the first the thing that made me go and find it was seeing this clip where Alan Tudyk is talking to like a squid or something. Okay, yeah, it's an octopus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's a fun little reunion for them. Uh, it's a cool show, though. It's very. It's enjoyable. Yeah, I really like <clears throat> sci-fi original shows. We have like a very specific vibe to him we watched a sci-fi original show called channel zero which is basically sci-fi's version of black mirror oh yeah like a little anthology thing yeah but the anthology is by seasons so it's actually more closer to american horror story uh season one the lead the main character is uh um he played mark brandanowitz in parks and rec oh sure yeah it was actually a really cool season Originals. They did some cool stuff. Eureka. Where else? They, they they've gotten better. They yeah, used to be like a sci-fi original. Used to be. <laughs> they used been, to be like. They've been pretty good rough. for over twenty years now. No, they used to be like. If it was a sci-fi original, it's like this is going to be under budget. It's going to look like shit, and it's going to be a really corny movie. I know you're not like, like a big sci-fi guy, but like they did the Battlestar Galactica remake in the early two thousands, and that. Yeah, but they also did that Bruce Campbell movie, Alien Invasion. Well, sure. They're not all going to be amazing, <laughs> but, they, like, but they did. Like I said, like, Warehouse 13, Eureka, Battlestar Galactica, I think we're all coming out around the same time. And then, I know they weren't making them, but they're airing Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. Um, Are you a Whovian? Not really. Um, but they had a bunch of, like, cool anthology sci-fi stuff, too. Like, there's a show called Tripping the Rift. It was like the animated I, sci-fi anthology. Yeah. Well, that's not an anthology. It's like every... I don't... Every episode was like a collection of short stories, right? Isn't that sort of like definition no. of an anthology? Oh, Tripping the no, Rift not was the it, horny aliens. There's a different show. Yes. There's a different... There <laughs> Tripping was a the different, Rift was... Yeah, there's a different show that I can't remember the name of that was like anthology animation stuff it was pretty cool too tripping the rift was underrated man i really like tripping the rift <laughs> yeah. like oh god the, the two blow doing aliens from heavy metal and made an entire show about <laughs> them uh, i need to go back and watch and their villain was darth bobo wow yeah I need to go back and watch that <laughs> See if it holds up. Oh, God. I don't think it's it going to hold up, is it? I don't think so. It probably doesn't hold up. This is like vulgar space puppets. I don't know. Maybe it does. But, but like rough CGI. 
Yeah, well, there's going to be some of that. Here. Well, the whole show was the whole show was rough CGI. Sure. Yeah. So there's definitely going to be at least some of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What's your fandom then? If you're not a Whovian, I don't know. If I really have a. Fandom. What's your? I don't like engaging with others about media I enjoy. <laughs> at least not in a, <laughs> not in a fan club type way. <laughs> Uh, okay, well then, who is your favorite ship? Uh, Are you a John Locke guy, or...? Oh, I was gonna be like, I think yeah. Voyager's pretty cool. <laughs> the Voyager. <laughs> Maybe the Rocinante from... Not the Nostromo? I don't know. A lot, of, a lot of bad shit went down on there. And it's not, like, particularly cool. It's just, like, it's like a freighter where a bunch of fucked up stuff happens. My favorite ship, Queen Anne's Revenge. Hmm. I don't. What is that from? It's Blackbeard ship. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. Well, <clears throat> this is not a uh, sci-fi shipping podcast. Um, Alex, why don't you tell our audience, our hearers, what we're going to be, uh, you know, what we're going to be talking about today? Yeah, we're doing one, one last Western thing for now. We watched uh, My Darling Clementine from 1946 and Tombstone from 1992. Three. 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 But yeah. Not really like remakes per se, but two movies about similar events. About similar events, about, and similar okay so this is the thing overlapping groups of people (laughs) right it's the same historical people with the same historical event it's some of this it's a lot of the same there's two venn diagrams and they overlap heavily but not entirely and then (laughs) there's like events that happen within there that are dramatized in different ways now so before we even get into the movies what do you know about the actual wyatt earp Doc Holliday, the OK Corral, the showdown and all that. What's your actual not I mean, it's probably the most like well-known event of the West. Like the gunfight at the OK Corral, you know? Yeah, I mean, you know, there's a corral, a bunch of dudes got shot there. About it. I mean, honestly, I only know about it from Tombstone. And even then, I'm a little foggy on I don't know that <laughs> after watching Tombstone where they do the fake Ken Burns intro where it's like, this is all super historically accurate. <laughs> well, <laughs> you'll like, be surprised. You, know. you, you might be surprised, Alex. Um, Tombstone is pretty accurate. Well, there are a lot, there are a few differences, but it's pretty fairly accurate in terms of the story, the events, uh, and the OK Corral fight itself. In terms um, of like what's sort of like commonly accepted? I don't know. Well, to historical record. Sure. From the account, so like, okay. The OK Corral, the original actual documentation of what happened uh, is forever lost because it was burned in a house fire. <laughs> what we do know, the standing as it is, is that it had been a feud brewing for weeks with uh, the Clantons threatening 
violence against the Earps. Now, the Earps came into Tombstone and they were uh, some kind of exploiting the town. They were kind of exploiting the town. They were there for their own interest. And because of that, um, they kind of started getting the attention of all the wrong people. So when it came down to the <clears throat> Clintons making threats, and by then Virgil Earp had been marshaled in uh, because he wanted to give something back, the actual fight at the OK Corral, when it finally came to unfolding, uh, it actually was 30 seconds long. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense for a gunfight <laughs> with like seven people or something. Six or seven uh, men with guns fired about 30 shots in about 30 seconds. Yeah. Takes a lot longer than that, both of the movies. <laughs> Way more dynamic. So, um, according to a witness, Doc Holliday drew a, larn, a large bronze pistol uh, from under his coat and stepped around Tom McGlory's house and shot him with a double-barrel shotgun in the chest at close range. Hmm. Witness C.H. Ham Light saw Tom running or stumbling westward on Freeman Street towards 3rd Street away from the gunfight, while Frank and Billy were still standing there shooting. Light testified that Tom fell at the foot of a telegraph pole on the corner of Fremont and 3rd Street and laid there without moving throughout the duration of the fight. At some point, uh, Ike Clanton, who had been publicly threatening to kill the Earps for several months, uh, ended up breaking out and he uh, he threw his gun down and told Wyatt that he was unarmed. Wyatt said, get to fighting or get to running. At which case, Clanton ran through the front door of a Fly's boarding house and escaped unwounded. Hmm. Some accounts say that he drew a hidden pistol and fired at the Earps before disappearing. But, you know, remember <laughs> that's... of that happening in Tombstone. Yeah. Um, Morgan, uh, Morgan, Morgan Earp, uh, the youngest of the Earp brothers, was wounded. Um... And Virgil was wounded. Virgil Earp was wounded. That would result in him losing his arm. Oh, Bill Paxton. That part was sad. Um, <laughs> um, so, the, uh, and then afterwards, the Cowboys, who were the gang at the time, threatened uh, legal action against the Earps, saying that they were there to peacefully be disarmed when the Earps fired first. Uh, it came down to a circuit judge who went through all of the witness statements and found that the Earps were actually acting in self-defense. Yeah, sure. Okay. <laughs> I, you know, still classic, to, you know, cops on the stand. Who knows? Right, right. <laughs> um, so Wyatt Earp was a lawman uh, he died January 13th, 1929 in Los Angeles. Um, he was best old guy. He was best known. He died at age 80. Yeah. Uh, he died with his fourth wife, Josephine Marcus, who was an actress and they were married in 1882 and they stayed together until the time of his death. Oh, so like, so this is the woman he meets as his current wife is, uh, like dying from opiate addiction. Symptoms. Yeah, and actually, his first wife, my, uh, Maddie Baylock, did die shortly after they left Tombstone. She died of opium. She's hooked so fast in the movie. It's like five <laughs> minutes in, and she's like got a gallon of laudanum. 
Now, Wyatt Earp was uh, known for being a marshal. He was known for the gunfight at the OK Corral. But after that, he's actually known for a bo- for being a boxing referee. Hmm. Oh, weird. He's like he's lame, but in reverse. He was the referee for the championship boxing match between Bob Fitzsimmons and Tom Sharkley. And uh, he was awarded by referee Wyatt Earp. The victory was awarded to Sharkley after, Fix Nimmin, uh, after Fitzsimmons knocked Sharkley to the map. And Ertz, Earp ruled that Fitzsimmons had hit Sharkley below the belt. And thus people thought that this was a rigged fight because of that. Um, yeah, he had four wives. He was a deputy marshal in Kansas. Uh he had a very high, fair arrest record, but he was an alcoholic. Um, he was just like any other hard-nosed, kind of assholic uh, lawman until he gets to Tombstone and the confrontation with the cowboy gang and the vendetta ride really kind of puts Wyatt Earp into the mythos of the West, you know? Yeah. Um, Wyatt Earp's friend, you know, John Henry Holiday, Doc Holiday, was a dentist, a gambler, a gunfighter, uh, and he died at the age of 36, November 8th, 1887, in Colorado Springs. Uh, he died from, tuber- yeah, um, tuberculosis. Uh, he worked with Earp and Tombstone. Uh, he already had problems with the Clantons. And, and again, so, okay, my sources for all of this I have compiled from Wikipedia, historical websites, uh, biographies of these guys, and documentaries that I've been watching for the past week. So I just have a giant, a giant fucking document here of like various sources of people who've looked into this stuff. And I am compiling that for you so you can find all of these facts and way more if you yourself are interested uh but there's it's just way too much to get into these guys each of these guys has their own like three hour long documentaries on them mm-hmm. so <laughs> you know, i i we can't do that um so uh Wyatt are pretty much covered for you doc holiday uh, is there anything specific you want to know um, I mean, his depiction of Val Kilmer's depiction of him was pretty spot on. He was an alcoholic. He was a gambler. Uh, he was known for being quick witted. Um, and he was, uh, married to big nose Kate Honoree, which was his common law wife from 1877 to 1882. Gotta wonder if that was like a name she embraced or not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Tough, stubborn, and fearless. Well, that's good, yeah. Um, uh, there is a character in the movie named John Arango, yeah, and he was a... Yeah, he's a famous outlaw. Uh, Johnny Arango died in, on July 13th, 1882 of suicide. But, but let me just... <clears throat> Johnny Ringo was drinking heavily on 4th of July festivities. He left town two days later, taking several bottles of liquor for the ride. 
Deputy Billy Beck, uh, Breckenridge saw him two days later near Dials Ranch in the South Pass of the Dragoon Mountains. He later wrote that Ringo was very drunk and reeling in the saddle. He tried to get Ringo to follow him back to the Goodrich Ranch, but he was drunk and stubborn and went on his way. At about 3 p.m. on July 13th, ranch hands heard a nearby shot. Teamster James Yost was hauling wood when he found Ringo's body on July 14th, seated in a bunch of large five black jack oaks growing up in a semicircle from one root. At the center of them was a large flat rock, which made a comfortable seat. He wasn't no more than 700 feet from Smith's house in West Turkey Creek Valley. Okay. His body had already been turned black from the desert heat. His feet were wrapped in strips of cloth to torn from his under uh, undershirt. Ringo had lost his horse with his boots tied to the saddle. The coroner's report noted that he had evidently traveled but a short distance in his footgear. There was a bullet hole in his right temple and an exit wound at the back of his head. The fatal wound was at an upward 45-degree angle between the right eye and ear, and his revolver was still in his hand. According to the coroner's report, Ringle, uh, Ringo's Colt Single Action Army 45 revolver had held five cartridges. The hammer rested on an empty chamber. A knife cut was found at the base of his scalp, as if someone had cut it with a knife. His horse was found 11 days later, about two miles away, with Ringo's boot still tied to the saddle. A coroner's inquest officially ruled the death a suicide. Well, <clears> that <throat> seems a little weird, but I don't know. Um, Billy Claiborne died November 14th, age 22. Uh, he died at the gunfight of the OK Corral. He was a member of the Claiborne family. Uh, he was a part of the outlaw cowboy outfit. He had killed James Hickey in October 1st of 1881. Uh, Billy Clanton oh, died roughly at the ages of 1819. Um, this is Thomas Hayden Church in Tombstone, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he also died uh, at the OK Corral. Mm-hmm. As for Ike Clanton, he died June 1st, 1887, roughly around 30 to 40. His cause of death was a gunshot wound. Yeah, I think a lot of that was going and, around at the time, it sounds like. <laughs> um, yeah, so he actually survived the OK Corral, but he tried to... Uh, he, he Two years later, <clears throat> he was involved in a botched robbery and was shot during so, and again, all of these guys have way more history. There's way more nuance to their lives. And the OK Corral itself has been documented by, like, bottle note, like, coke-rimmed glass historians who, like, live for this stuff. Um, so you can go find that material in those documentaries anywhere. I just thought for context to give some uh, historical weight to this, I would fill you in with a little bit of knowledge about that. Everyone here is some famous historical figure. Uh, now, all that being said, the OK Corral gunfight 
has been portrayed a million times in movies and TV shows. Uh, we have decided to do 1946's My Darling Clementine and 1993's Tombstone. Uh, Alex, what is your experience with My Darling Clementine? Oh, uh, none. I don't. I don't think I even knew that it was a movie before we talked about watching it. Um, I don't think I've seen any John Ford movies before this. Um, pretty. This was all new to me. <clears throat> I think this might be the first Henry Fonda thing. Okay. Uh, my Darling Clementine came out December 3rd. That's my birthday. 1946. That is not my birth year. Uh, the budget was $2 million. And in U.S. rentals, it made just over that. Hmm. So, actually 750000 more than that. So I guess we'll call it a success. Uh, it's Henry Fonda, Victor Mature, uh, Victor Mature uh, Linda Darnell, and Walter Brennan are the main cast. Um, it portrays Doc Holliday, or it portrays the Earp arrive, the Earps arriving in Tombstone, where they meet Doc Holliday. Uh, Alex, how did you feel about the film? I liked it. I thought it was good. Um, I do think. The Wyatt Earp portrayal in this one is a lot funnier because he's such like a. I said this before, but he's like if Ned Flanders carried a gun, he's so <laughs> he's so like prim and proper. Sure. <laughs> but no, it was, there's a lot of there's a cool movie, a lot of fun. Um, it's a lot different than than Tombstone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so during filming, Walter Brennan disliked Ford so much that he never wanted to work with him again. And one time when Brennan was having a little trouble getting into the saddle, Ford yelled, can't you even mount a horse? And Brennan shot back, no, but I got three Oscars for acting. Wait, is, so that, this is the, is Walter Brennan like the old Clanton guy? Uh, Walt, Walter Clanton is... Haynes Clanton, a cattleman. Okay. Yeah. I thought they just Walter Brennan hated it. Or something. But this... <laughs> oh, the first time he speaks, I'm like, oh my god, it's the prospector voice. It's this iconic <laughs> voice that I've heard so many places before. And I think this might be the origination of it. It really... You're going to Tombstone? I was like... It's like this is like a big character from every Matt Groening show I've ever watched has used this voice. Yeah. It's like such a staple. It's true. He really like... Yeah, I mean, when I heard that, I, I kind of got unreal... Like, I, I started, got happy. I started cracking like, up. Yeah. yeah. I was like, as soon as he spoke, I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. It really, oh, <laughs> what, darn it. <laughs> uh, he's really great. Um, so Henry Fonda did the same slightly awkward high-stepping dance in his earlier appearance for John Ford, young Mr. Lincoln, in 1939. According to Winston Miller, Ford deliberately included the dance number again because he thought it would make a good shot. Um, the one where he takes Clementine to like the half-built church, and they yeah, and they <laughs> that seems so goofy. Yeah. Vincent Price was originally considered for the role of Doc Holliday. Okay, um, 
Kind of glad they didn't go that way, honestly. I think the movie might have been a little worse. A little weirder? Yeah. Uh, the fir- This is the first movie that John Ford directed after the end of World War II. Oh, wow. Henry Fonda was John Ford's first and only choice to play Wyatt Earp. John Ireland, who played Billy Clanton, later played Johnny Ringo in the 1957 movie Gunfight at the OK Corral. Mm. Mm. The location shooting took 45 days. Uh, So Tombstone, like most Westerns town, had a law against carrying guns. They were supposed to be turned into the sheriff or checked in at the bar and to be retrieved when the person left town. In fact, the real gunfight at the OK Corral took place because the Earps were attempting to get some cowboys to surrender their guns. Damn. Damn. In reality, Doc Holliday's common-law wife was quote-unquote Big Nose, Kate Elder, and she didn't like Wyatt Earp, who had a common-law wife named Maddie Baylock. Uh, while in Tombstone, Wyatt met Josephine Marcus, who stayed with him for the last 46 years of his life. None of that's in this movie. There's just this made-up no. Clementine person <laughs> who has history with, but with Doc, and then uh, Wyatt is immediately smitten by Wyatt's now, a bit of a do nice you know, guy in this movie. <laughs> uh, do you know who the original choice for Doc Holliday was before Vincent Price? Before Vincent Price. <laughs> I don't know. I can't even think of actors from the 40s, quite, quite frankly. So, Our boy Zorro, Tyrone Power. Oh, that could have been cool. Tyrone Power was an early possibility for Doc Holliday, but for some unknown reason, he was dropped from consideration in pre-casting stage. John Ford was enthusiastic about Douglas Fairbanks Jr. telling Daryl F. Zanuck in a memo he might be terribly good in it. He would look about the same age as Henry, and it's a flamboyant role. It's quite possible he'd kick the hell out of it. Think it over well. He was not happy with Zanuck's choice, as Victor Mature uh, had begun pressing for Vincent Price instead. However, after meeting with Mature, Ford told Zanuck that he was not all worried about the actor's performance. He was never happy, however, with Linda Darnell's as Doc's Mexican spitfire lover. Okay. Well, good for noting that, I guess. I, did, I like Doc Holliday in this one a lot. He's a pretty cool character, and I think the Victor Mature does, does a good job with it. I like it's interesting Diana... having them be like adversarial at first like not knowing each other sure. in the beginning of the movie because like in tombstone they rock they rock in and then like the first person they see is doc holiday being like what's up buds right you so you actually uh well i have so just like two or three more facts mm-hmm. before we can get into this uh diana douglas claimed in her autobiography that she lost the role of chihuahua to linda darnell when producer uh daryl f zanuck said he didn't like her teeth her ex Husband Kirk Douglas later played Doc Holliday in the gunfight at the OK Corral. And uh, because of its optimism and simple idealism, John Ford thought of this film as a film for children. Okay, yeah. Now, there's way more facts, but I didn't bother getting into those uh, because I have been burned out with facts. Frankly, um, what do you think of the movie itself? You prefer, so you like the uh, ju- the uh, adversarial Doc Holiday in Victor Mature? I like them being like not 
maybe adversarial is the wrong word. I like the sort of the dynamic where it's Wyatt's coming into town and he wants to like calm things down a bit, but he kind of like acknowledges that Doc has his own thing going on. It seems like they kind of see each other at least as like both being worthy of respect in a way that I like. That was cool. Um, having that subplot where Chihuahua had gotten like that pendant thing from Billy Clanton. <laughs> But then sure. it was from Doc, and then Wyatt thought that Doc killed his brother. I was like the main. <laughs> There's just a whole other Earp brother, like that is in this movie that is totally left out of Tombstone that apparently wasn't even there. James Earp, yeah. James Earp, yeah. Um, dies very sadly in the beginning of the movie. <laughs> it's almost comical. It, all he has, he gets like five minutes of pining about this gal that he's definitely gonna marry, and then he's dead the next time they come there. Um, so how do you, so where does this fall for like a Western for you? You know, like where, or what, like 310 to Yuma and, you know, where does uh, My Darling Clementine fall for like your Western like feels? Yeah, it's so, well, I guess I don't know when Western started getting made. I'd imagine pretty early on, but this feels like pretty early for a Western. Um, Like it almost feels like, it feels like like, a historical drama, as opposed to, like, having all, like, the Western sort of, like, tropes, like, ironed out yet, or, like, locked in. There's definitely, like, some stuff there, like, there's shots of, you know, Wyatt Earp, like, standing in the, in the street, in that sort of, in that very Western shot. Um, but there's not, like, a ton of, like, Western action stuff happening, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I do. I liked it a lot, though. I thought it was a lot of fun, and yeah, John Ford. Apparently, he also knows what he's doing. <laughs> so, were you? Uh... I, I, did you have any expectations for this? Because obviously, you've seen Tombstone before. So, going into this, what, what were you hope? Were there any expectations? I I knew it was going to be similar characters or. Um, and then, like, I don't, it had been a while since I watched Tombstone. Like, going into it pretty immediately, I'm like, okay, this is definitely a different recalling of similar events. And then it also stops, basically, like, <laughs> 45 minutes before Tombstone stops, right? Like, in Tombstone, <laughs> they go to the OK Corral, and then they have, like, the entire follow-up after that, and this one just kind of stops there. Um, with things, like, resolving nicely. Uh... But I don't. I didn't really have like expectations for it. Uh, I didn't realize, like, I didn't realize the John Ford thing until the credit, until like the opening credits hit. And then I was like, wait, I know this name. I looked it up. I was like, oh right, this might be kind of a big deal movie. Okay. Um. So, uh, upon seeing it, like you're watching it, it's another black and white movie. Um, was there anything that you were surprised by in terms of uh cinematography or direction or any kind of like filmmaking thing here that you thought was like really cool or uh, refreshing to see from the time period yeah the i guess the stuff that like john ford gets like really well known for i guess is definitely here happening earlier than i thought it was or like, like the big like establishing shots it there's like some really i don't know cinematic <laughs> Like, there's like 
some really cool like epic shots in here which is weird to think about at least for me for like a 1946 black and white movie but they're like doing such sort of like big epic camera work like that right uh, yeah yeah and i don't they did i don't know if it's like every good <laughs> every good director from the time period or whatever but so they the black and white movie thing with the interplay of like shadows being super important is like one of the main like contrasts you can get on the screen is a uh, pretty cool in here too it's really like lighting wise very very dark it, it's like hard to tell what's happening at night here there was a uh great shot i found myself really like captivated by and it's when uh the elder clanton has called out the herbs for the gun for the gunfight at the okay corral and we see ike clanton there his just black silhouette in the dark and then as the sun's coming up he gets lighter and lighter but it's like he's almost like fading into view as opposed to just like yeah it's this it's a still shot it's really awesome um There are some, I mean, obviously it's, it's, it's a retelling of the OK Corral like moment, right? And that's been done a million times. It's one of the most historic moments in the West. Uh, how do you feel about the representation of the characters and the event itself? I, mean, I don't know. Like, did this of, do anything for you? I don't have a lot of like a skin in the fight, so to speak, or whatever. Like, I'm not. I don't super duper care about portrayals you know, kick around quite necessarily. Um, oh, that's it. Like, and having read nothing about, you know, like what actually happened or who was like actually there and stuff, this, this seemed like a fine, fine portrayal to me. I like the, I don't know. The character dynamics are really good and pretty cool. It's funny having Wyatt Earp kind of pine after his buddy's like rejected girl it was interesting um overall i just thought like everyone was really good in it i had a great time watching the movie okay um yeah i mean see here's the problem I liked my darling Clementine. I thought it was really good, but I don't want to seem like a fanboy for Tombstone. But it's just a superior version hmm. of the movie. They just seemed like really different to me. I don't like this one. Didn't feel as like normally when we watch a pair of movies, it's like a pretty direct comparison. But these ones are just taking like. They're like riffing on the same historical event, but not really the same like source material. Like if they had both adapted the same book or something, I might have felt like more compelled to compare them one to one. But they just kind of—I don't know. They're like they kind of like the Scrabble bag of like here's people and things that happened around this time. Throw them into a movie, and then Tombstone does the same thing, but they're not like yeah. If they were both, like, here's a book about the events that we're adapting. But 
Well, the My Darling Clementine was adapted from a 1931 novel called uh, Wyatt Earp, the front, the last frontierman. Yeah, and then but <laughs> Tombstone wasn't like based on that source material or anything, was it? No, Tombstone is just based on. I guess you could technically say the an extended period in time in Wyatt Earp's life. Yeah, well, because Tombstone the movie takes place. Like, they call it out in the movie. They say this is happening in 1882, which is a year after everything in the OK Corral actually happened, right? Yeah. So, like, from Jump, we're kind of like, we're like, okay, this is definitely like a fictionalized collection of events. Um, I don't, like, I like them both separately for different reasons. I do have, like, way, way more nostalgia for Tombstone, and I think, like, the... Like, it's a bigger movie, and the ensemble cast is cooler. And there's just, like, a lot more of them. Everyone I recognize uh, well, uh, I'm, like, stoked about. Well, uh, do you want to hop into uh, hop into the carriage and uh, head to uh, hop into the coach and sure. head to 1993? Talk about Tombstone? Yeah, sure. So uh, the line quoted by Doc at the end of the fight was historically true. As reported in the Tombstone Papers reporting to the fight, when Doc confronted by one of the Cowboys at Point Blank Range, the Cowboy said, I got you now, Doc, you son of a bitch. To which Doc gleefully reported, you're a daisy if you do. Oh, yeah. And he does the are you not entertained walk before that was a thing where he puts his <laughs> and puts his arms out. Yeah. Uh, when the Earps first entered Tombstone, a grave marker in the cemetery says, here lies Lester Moore, four slugs from a 44, no less, no more. A real-life tombstone in Tombstone, Arizona, with that epitaph, has been on display for at least 60 years. Lester Moore was a Wells Fargo agent murdered in Naco, Arizona in 1880 by Hank Dunstan. Uh, Dunstan also died in that fight and was buried in Naco. Damn. Doc Holliday's wink to Billy Clinton just before the gunfight was actually improvised by Val Kilmer from Jump. According to Val Kilmer, screenwriter Kevin Jar insisted that actors wear real wool costumes in accordance with the time oh, period. In the, so hot. <laughs> in the Birdcage theater scene, Kilmer says a thermometer on the set reached 134 degrees Fahrenheit. Kilmer suggested jokingly that was the reason Doc Holliday had killed so many people. It's just like he wore wool in the summer in the Arizona territory, and that made him mad. That also, like, I thought he was sweaty from the tuberculosis, but it's probably just actually... <laughs> it's probably real sweat. Time, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Val Kilmer, for a long time, practiced his quick-draw speed, and he gave his character a southern a aristocrat accent. The southern accent is an authentic touch... As Holiday was a cousin, several generations removed, of Margaret Mitchell, author of Gone with the Wind. Mm. Okay. The lawman, Wyatt Earp's fifth cousin, Wyatt Earp, plays Billy Claiborne. Oh, I see. Yeah, Wyatt Earp third or whatever is like, yeah. credited. Uh, Robert Mitchum was uh, co-signed to star as Old Man Clanton prior to uh, principal photography, but he fell from his horse and injured him back, forcing him to quit his part. Instead, Mitchum provides the narration at the beginning and ending of the film. Yeah, so he's the he's like the Ken Burns guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <I don't> 
Now, something interesting here. Wyatt Earp died in 1929. He had never been scratched by a single bullet. In all of the gunfights he had and was involved in and all of his time as a lawman, Wyatt Earp was never once touched by a single bullet. Should have been him instead of Bill Paxton. That's what I. That's <laughs> that, how I feel. That moment when he cuts Bill, uh, when he cuts that guy in half in the river with the shotgun. Mm-hmm. Actual hap- historical fact. Yeah. Waited out in the middle of a river, untouched by bullets. People said Wyatt Earp was blessed. Uh, others said that he had the spirit of death around him. Yeah, it'd be weird if we talked about cops that killed a lot of people like that now. Instead of just being like... It would be. Weirdos. <laughs> uh, do you want the translation between Doc and Johnny Ringo when they're talking Latin to each other? Oh, sure. Are you interested in that? Sure. So, uh, oh, before that, uh, as they're walking to the Oki Corral, Doc Holliday is whistling. That was also Val Kilmer's idea. Uh, so when Doc Holliday and John Arango first meet, they begin speaking Latin to each other. Uh, Doc Holliday says in vino veritas, which means in wine, there is truth. Uh, from there on, jo- the conversation starts and Johnny Ringo basically asks or restore or retorts with do what you do. Doc Holliday says, <clears throat> let Apollo the Jew believe not I. Uh, Johnny Ringo responds with "Youth is the teacher of fools." Doc Holliday says, "Rest in peace." Mm. Okay, so they're basically just like throwing random Latin phrases back and forth, right? That is a, um, that is a William... really fun exchange, though. Uh, Val Kilmer saying it appears Johnny Ringo is an educated man. How I really hate him! <laughs> it was very funny. Uh, I'll, I'll get to his lines later because uh, you can actually thank Kurt Russell for all of Doc Holliday's enhanced lines. Oh, right. Wow. Okay. I'll, I'll get to that. Uh, Willem Dafoe was originally to play Doc Holliday, but Buena Vista refused to distribute the film if he was cast because of his role in The Last Temptation of Christ. What? Can you connect those dots for me? I don't understand why one would, why that would follow. <laughs> Because it was controversial at the time. The Last Temptation of Christ, when it came out, was one of the most boycotted movies of all time. Mm, okay. And so Buena Vista Pictures refused to distribute. Well, I think it turned out for the best, because that Val Kilmer's Doc I think so, too. One of the best Western characters ever. <laughs> <laughs> one of his best roles ever. Um... So, during the famous gunfight, members of the two opposing parties were initially about six feet apart, and about 30 shots were fired in 30 seconds. That is historically accurate. Mm-hmm. Uh, George P. Cosmatos claimed that Stephen Lang was drunk for most of the filming. Who is Stephen Lang? <laughs> oh, I clan on the old, old man clan. Yeah. Yeah. Or just they kind of. Um, so, like in My Darling Clementine, Old Man Clanton is like the main antagonist. And this one is like the Curly Bill as the head of the Cowboys, and then a few of the Clanton guys just happen to also be a part of the gang. Is that what it is? Right. 
Okay. Yeah. Um, when Virgil returns to the saloon collapses after being shot, Kurt Russell accidentally bangs Sam Elliott's head on the bar as he lifts him to lay flat on the floor. <laughs> yeah. Well, good for Sam Elliott. He needs to get his head wrung on more things. The expression, I'm your huckleberry, spoken by Doc, means I'm the perfect man for the job. It could be indeed be a reference to Mark Twain's Huckleberry Finn, then known as the sidekick of Tom Sawyer before Huck got his own book. There's so many funny, like, if you just Google, like, what does this mean? <laughs> what does I'm your Huckleberry mean? There's so many half-baked theories out there about it. Sure. <laughs> it's very funny. I, think it, I just uh, think it sounds real neat. I don't really care what it, it means. It just sounds cool as hell to me. <laughs> People think, like, well, because huckleberries are poisonous or something. <laughs> in 2020, Val Kilmer put an end to that debate. He claims the line was really written, I'm your huckleberry, in the script meaning I'm your man or you've met your match. Yeah. Kilmer set the record straight in his autobiography entitled, I'm your, I'm your huckleberry. huckleberry. Yeah. Uh, so, so means, I'm your man. I'm your man. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you so from context is what it means. <laughs> this is why I. So Val Kilmer wrote in 2017 that Kurt Russell was a major influence in directing the film, and he was solely responsible for Tombstone uh, for Tombstone's success. No question. A month into production, Kevin Yare was replaced as director after he became overwhelmed in the duty and fell behind schedule. George P. Cosmatos was brought in and hit the ground running. However, according to Kilmer, I was there every minute. And although Kurt's version differs slightly different from mine, the one thing that's totally correct about it is how hard he worked day in and day out for the next shot list. He put tremendous effort, both physically, mentally, emotionally, and financially into this picture. Hmm. He even gave us increased time and he took reduced lines and screen time so that he could get this movie done. He sacrificed his own energy and role to devote himself as a storyteller going up so far as to draw up shot lists to help the replacement director. Well, that's pretty cool. So it was also a quiet rumor on set that some of the more memorable doc holiday lines that weren't improvised were originally given to Wyatt Earp, but because Kurt Russell was starting to devote more of his time to the screen, he said, give him to Val. Nice. Good. Good ram. <laughs> so, uh, Val Kilmer had the ice, uh, had the art department fill his deathbed with ice, not only to shake more of the performance, but also to create equal pain to what Doc might have felt saying goodbye to his best friend. <laughs> God damn. Him, him dying in bed from TB is pretty rough at the end. Gonna, now, do lie. you know why he looked? Do you know why he looked down and he said, Well, ain't that funny before he died? I do not. You're aware of the scene I'm talking about, though, right? Him dying at the end? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. He looked down at his feet because his boots were off. And he always thought he would die with his boots on, like in a gunfight yeah. or in gambling. Right. So he was able to look down and see that he was dying with his boots off. Yeah. Uh, Mickey Rourke turned down the role of Johnny Rango. Damn. 
That would have been weird. <laughs> uh, filming in Arizona had its complications, the two biggest of which were heat and scorpions. Oh, yeah. Damn. Uh, the St. Crispin's Day speech recited by Billy Zane from Henry V, St. Crispin's Day, is on October 5th. The gunfight at the, Octo- at the OK Corral took place on October 26th, just a few hundred years apart. Is there some like historical note about just some random Shakespearean actor being in town? Because they had that in My Darling Clementine, too. Where well, that's where, that's where Josephine Marcus came from. She was part of the traveling troupe. Okay. Or she was part of the theater troupe. Sure. Okay. So there were... <laughs> that's very funny. Yeah. They left Josephine out of My Darling Clementine and just... Just took the random English actor who gets Shakespeare, to, yeah. yeah. <laughs> gets throttled by all the cowboys. And like I like I do like when Billy Zane pops out of that carriage and first is like, oh I always forget he's in this and he's he's so dreamy looking. <laughs> it's very funny. <laughs> so uh Val Kilmer and Kurt Russell played Elvis Presley in different films around the same time. Kilmer played him uh, the role of the mentor in True Romance, 1993. And Russell was the voice of Elvis in Forrest Gump in 1994. Russell also played the king in the television movie Elvis, 1979, as well as an Elvis impersonator in 3,000 Miles to Graceland. Graceland? That's what I was going to say. Yeah, Yeah, that's where I go first. 3,000 Miles to Graceland. (laughs) I do. This is such a good era for Kurt Russell. It really is. Um, Here up until maybe Escape from L.A. Probably farther than that, too. Jennifer Connelly had auditioned for the role of Josephine Marcus, but didn't make the cut. Hmm. So, in a case of life mirroring art, Morgan Earp was the first of the Earp brothers to die, and Bill Paxton, who played Morgan, died at the age of 61 in February 2017. He was outlived by the actors who played his brothers, Kurt Russell and Sam Elliott. The actors were of similar age to the real-life Earps. Virgil Earp was born in 1843, Wyatt in 1848, five years younger, and Morgan in 1851, three years younger. Elliot was born in 1944, Russell was born in 1951, and Paxton was born in 1955. Damn. Okay. Uh, The... Gunfight at the OK Corral should be actually called the gunfight near the OK Corral, as the actual gunfight itself took place in a vacant lot next to Fly's photographic studio, which was close to the OK Corral. It doesn't really roll off the tongue the same way. The gunfight doesn't do the OK Corral. Yeah. <laughs> gunfight within sight of the OK Corral. <laughs> so Wyatt's Earth, Maddie. Uh, suffered from severe headaches and a laudanum addiction in real life. Mm-hmm. Originally, laudanum was a tincture of opium containing 10% raw powdered opium, equivalent to 1% pure morphine that was soaked in ethanol. God damn. Yeah. Yeah. That's fucking gnarly. Right. It's like a old-timey lean... Uh, in the late 1990s, John Carpenter claimed he almost directed the film. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> uh, Powers Booth and Paula Malcolmson appeared in Deadwood 2004. Jeremy Irons was considered for the role of Doc Holliday, and Richard Gere really wanted that role of Wyatt Earp. 
I don't know what I would have done with a Richard Gere Wyatt. Or <laughs> I don't know. If the, I think it would have had to have been much more of a romantic comedy. Yeah, yeah. Um, Does Richard William Gere... Baldwin auditioned for the role of Doc Holliday? Yeah, oof, okay. <laughs> uh, I mean, look, I got a million more, like, there's a million more facts you can get. I took all these from the liner notes, uh, uh, like, off of the Tombstone uh, website and, like, the DVD stuff and behind the scenes. But there's, like, a million more. Um, yeah, so... Tombstone came out December 25th, 1993. Uh, the budget was $25 million, and the box office take was a criminally underrated $73 million. I think it should have got more. Well, I think it you know, has its day in the end. After, I feel like it's pretty universally like, well-regarded now. Or like, like, I don't think I've heard... It feels like a... Oh, God. Since the Stephen King movie about the jail, like Shawshank, Shawshank, it feels like or Green Mile. No, Shawshank. Yeah, in the same way that like whenever Shawshank Redemption is brought up, it's never like no one's ever speaking negatively about it. I feel like that's the same sure. way the Tombstone gets talked about. Uh, I mean, it, it's hard to talk bad about it. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Like it's really good. Um, Val Kilmer, although he was praised for his role as Doc Holliday, he didn't get an, om- an Oscar nomination for Best Supporting Actor. Uh, Which, I think that's fucking criminal. His role as Doc Holliday, I mean, it's a monster of a role. Every line is delivered perfectly. Like, the way he moves, his cadence, like, it's like he should have gotten an Oscar for that role. Apparently, Gene Hackman and Unforgiven won it that year, but to not even be nominated. Oh, but maybe he got. Oh God, Gene Hackman. Okay, westerns or something. (laughs) But Unforgiven coming out the same year is tough. That's tough. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. Because Unforgiven is again the other one. Yeah, and it won. Unforgiven won Best Picture, Best Director, and Best Supporting Actor that year. Ooh, see, that's. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I don't know, man. That's that's really. You had a really cool <laughs> western that's like a little more PG thirteen, and then fucking Unforgiven with like Clint Eastwood, you know? Right, like yeah, it's Some um. So, how do you feel? What's your experience with Tombstone? Uh, what's my experience with it? Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. I feel like the first time I saw it was probably like 15 years ago. Like, definitely like, well, it came out when I was like six, so did not watch it at the time. But I didn't, like, I knew who all the actors were the first time I watched it. And I just had, like, thought really fondly of it ever since then. Um, watching it this time was just like, just a series of, like, nostalgia bombs. Being like, oh, yeah, I remember and enjoy this part of it. Oh, yeah, I remember and enjoy this part of the movie. <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember and enjoy this part of the movie, too. I have a very... Uh... Actually, Alex, I have a memory of us watching Tombstone at your place. Uh, that might have been the first time I saw it. No way, because you were already quoting it. Oh, maybe I, I might have watched it like a few weeks before that and then wanted to watch it again. Mm. 
I yeah, I remember hanging out at your place, and you're like, you want to watch Tombstone? And I'd already seen Tombstone. And I was like, fuck yeah, I want to watch Tombstone. Yeah, I think I probably watched like, <laughs> I would have seen it in high school, then wanted to watch it again. That's kind of like my move with movies. Um, back to like, I don't know why I watched Requiem for a Dream multiple times in high school. Oh, now I have no desire to do that. <laughs> sure, of course. Well, yeah. I mean, to be fair, you like, yeah, well, yeah, I, I get it. I haven't seen Pulp Fiction in over a decade, and I'm okay. <laughs> yeah, Donnie Darko. Right, I fucking hate Donnie Darko. I hated Donnie Darko then. I hate it now. I don't think that movie would have the same appeal now. Like, very specific to the early 2000s. I think you sure. could only like the movie. And it wouldn't even guarantee if you, you were, would only yeah. like the movie if you were in high school in like 2002 when it came out or whatever year. Right. Uh, so how did like how did you feel about uh, the character of Wyatt Earp now being represented? I know that you had some problems with him now. Oh yeah, I wouldn't say problem. He just comes across as more of an asshole than I remember. Like because he he does kind of just roll into town and then. I sort of remember him, like, getting off the train and then, like, wanting to do, like, in my head, I think I remember the story playing out, like, the Earps get off the train and then they kind of want to set up a life for themselves via, like, homesteading or something nebulous, you know? But I was like, oh, wait, no, they immediately strong arm their way into this gambling racket and they're kind of just assholes for a while while they watch people get murdered around them. Um... And Wyatt Earp is, like, he's cool in the movie, but he's still just, like, he's cool by being an absolute dick to people. You know, just, like, strong-arming everyone. Uh, Which, real angry kind cop. of historically accurate to yeah. his life. Like, I get, like, angry cop <laughs> vibes from him, so it's hard to, you know, <laughs> <laughs> So, it's hard to always want to root for him, but given the competition, um, how do you feel about his uh, relationship with Maddie to Josephine? Um, <laughs> I do think it's funny in the movie how quickly it happens. Like, his like <coughs> his wife's in town for like five minutes, and then she gets handed that big bottle of laudanum, and then it's like thirty minutes into the movie, she's like clearly she's like in the like deep deep depths of opium addiction pretty quickly. Uh. And it's also very funny to me how quickly Kurt Russell is just like, like ready to exit the relationship. It's like as soon as he sees Josephine get out of that cart with Billy Zane, it's like <laughs> you can tell it's a like game over. <laughs> no, he he is an oak. You off again? What does that mean? Wait, I know you're when they're at the bar, <laughs> and yeah, and he's like, "Why you are an oak?" And then later on the horse ride, he's like, "Yeah, I'm an oak, all right," and he follows her. I personally thought that the, I liked uh, Wyatt Earp and Clementine's little <laughs> little thing better. Really, you prefer I the uh, Ned it, Flanders and Wyatt? I like that the the huge moment in their relationship is exchanging a gentlemanly handshake, and then with the promise of maybe seeing each other multiple <laughs> months from now. <laughs> now, let's compare the Doc Holidays, right? Hmm. Val Kilmer to Victor Mature. Um, what, how do you think about them? What do you think about the portrayals of Doc Holliday? They seem like totally different to me. <laughs> Maybe not totally. Like they have some stuff in common, but 
Victor matures Doc Holliday is like way more conflicted about his past. They actually work into the part where he's a surgeon and have him like save someone's life. Well, he's a dentist. Okay, but in the Doc Holliday's supposed to be a dentist. But in the <laughs> sure, I mean, this is from that period of time where doctor didn't really mean a lot. <laughs> um, it was it was loose. <laughs> the term was loose. Yeah, like I, like the reason that we have like doctorates and stuff now, or like. Doc, quote unquote doctors, like medical quote unquote doctors, like stole the term doctor from <laughs> from academics and then just started using it. Uh, so a lot of like a lot of quacks just get to call themselves doc. Uh, I it seems like he had a little bit more going on, and well, I don't know. He had like maybe a more conflicted backstory in my darling Clementine. I like that they worked in in that he wasn't a dentist; he was a surgeon. Um. With like a medical degrees or something too. That was nice. They included that to make sure to be like he is actually qualified. He's not just one of those teeth pulling haircutting guys. <laughs> that, okay. I mean the okay. Do, the doctor in Tombstone, the or the the barber in Tombstone <laughs> literally has that dentist and barber sign. Or I think barber's listed first, so you kind of know the priority. <laughs> Right. I like that they have him be all conflicted about his past. Uh, I think it's like he knows that he's dying and he's like running away from people that he cares about because of it. it makes him feel like it makes Chihuahua feel a little more tragic too. Um, sure. I I really like the portrayal, but then like Val Kilmer is just like action badass, full of quips. It's impossible not to be like, yeah, he's pretty fucking cool. It's hard to compete <laughs> with, you know. Uh, it is hard to compete with, but let's take away the mystique of, like, the man, right? Let's take away the quips, and let's look at the character of the man. How do you feel of the portrayal? Do you think that Val Kilmer was able to uh, get the humanity of Doc Holliday, the, you know, the him dying of tuberculosis, and he kind of has to make a decision on, uh, like, like, when he decides to stand by Wyatt, and there's that conversation of, like, why are you out here, Doc? Like, I got loads of friends. And Doc Holliday goes, well, I don't. Yeah, right? Like, it, it's nice. showing that he has... Um, is there, there's a part, too, where, like, doesn't, like, Wyatt, like, tell him to, like, leave at some point, and then he's, like, really offended by that? Yeah. Yeah, I like that, too. That's before the OK Corral fight. He goes, Doc, you're not a part of... Or he's like, you, you got no stone in this. And he goes, yeah, now that's like, a hell of a thing for you to say to yeah, me. Yeah, that part. <laughs> I like that part a lot. That part's really good. Um, they, like, they're all... I don't know about like Val Kilmer, very good actor in this. Uh, like I think it, I'm not sure. Kurt Russell is still like very good, but he's like almost really like one of the weaker parts of the movie, but just like because the rest of it's so good. Now, how do you feel about uh, the Earps and Doc Holliday being the four horsemen of the apocalypse, as oh. prophesized by the priest? <laughs> Forgot about that. Isn't that like the Latin? <sighs> Does that happen in Tombstone in, yeah. or My Darling Clementine? Where they have no Tombstone in the yeah. beginning it, when 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 the cowboys show up at that wedding. Oh, and they kill those. They and the priest is cops. like, yeah. And the priest is like, a man is coming on a sick horse. That's and right. if you I forgot about and that if you look at like where you see how fucking cold blooded Johnny Ringo is, that priest is walking up and he right. fucking shoots him. <laughs> so Doc Holiday would be pestilence. Oh sure, yeah. Right? 
Is why why it wrath. would be wrath or death? Yeah, war. Mm. Virgil would be technically, I guess, conquest because he's there for justice, and conquest carries the scales. Sure. Uh, do you feel that that is? And they even. I mean, the iconic thing of them walking to the OK Corral, they look like Undertakers. They're wearing black on, like, they're wearing white collars with the straight black pants and black, like, trench coats and shit. The only one who has a lick of color that isn't a collar is fucking Val Kilmer with his, like, his sweat drenched, like. But that only shows up after he whips off his giant cape that he's wearing at six in the morning for some reason. Um, now, let's take away, because Tombstone is a very stylistic film. It's drenched in style. It's drenched in cool. If we strip that away, though, would you say Tombstone's a Western? This one feels, yeah, that was another watching this one, too. It was like, it still feels like a historical drama or something. I don't know. I don't know if I can quantify exactly why. Um, but it doesn't feel like super Western-y Western to me. It definitely like takes place well, in the West as well. <laughs> did, events in the... did Fistful of Dollars feel like a Western to you? It did. And three ten to human did, did both of them. Which one? Both, both of, of them. them? Okay. Magnificent yeah. Seven? Yeah. Definitely. So does and Tombstone doesn't. I don't Maybe it was made in the seventies <laughs> and made a slightly different I don't know. I don't See, this is this is now now you know what I'm talking about. It's there's something quantifiable about older westerns made in the '60s and '70s, where like Tombstone, yeah, it's a western, but it doesn't really feel like a western. It feels more like a historical drama, or it feels more like an action movie with western aesthetics. Yeah, I guess I kind of feel that way about the Three Ten to Yuma remake too. Maybe. Well, I don't know. Fuck, it's tough. It's it is. It, it's something I've been wrestling with for a couple of years now. Because anytime I've watched like a modern Western from the 90s onward, even like the 80s, I'm like, this, it doesn't hit the same. It's not, maybe yeah. it's the music. I think, you know, I think it might be the combination of like the, the music and then maybe also just like the film grain that you get in the 60s to like the early 80s too. It's like a, like, I mean, look at True Grit. Yeah, yeah, I was just about to, yeah, yeah. That, like that opening shot where it's like that kind of like that film grainy, like purpley blue sky or so. I don't know. There's a lot of stuff like that. But maybe it's that they're sort of like building, like from the 40s <laughs> up to the late 50s. They're kind of like building up and collecting all these tropes. And then they like crystallize for a while in the 60s and 70s. And then as it gets farther away from that, it feels like the modern westerns are just kind of like referencing older westerns more or something i'm not sure sure but yeah, i definitely get the and it's yeah it's a thing i can't really point to but yeah they definitely get the same kind of feeling and this is also again like i keep saying my basically 100 percent of my western experience or like 90 percent of it is in the last, <laughs> a couple of weeks here um did you still enjoy tombstone yeah, it's great. Throw it on. Did you enjoy my darling Clementine? Like, I really like that too. Yeah, I am actually gonna go. I was talking to a buddy about how I'd watch that. He was like, "Oh, you should check out the Searchers." Oh, okay. Go okay. Find that next. So that's a John Ford, John Wayne movie. Oh shit! Okay. 
supposed to be pretty good. It's about John Wayne. Um, he's like trying to find someone who killed a bunch of people, but he's like him, <laughs> him moving through like Comanche territory while also being a racist weirdo. I think maybe, right. maybe coping with that. Some I'm not really, I'm not totally sure. But yeah, no, it's uh, Ford's work. Want to check that out? Right. Yeah, no, the, the Searchers. That's like a big Western movie. Yeah, big deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. So how does it feel, man? Like this is the last Western we like. We did a big block of westerns. You know, uh, we've seen some like samurai films, and then the Western remakes, and we've seen modern westerns and classic westerns. Uh, where do you stand with the Western genre f- now from when before we started? Huh. I think there's definitely say I'm a fan, not like a super fan. There's been like a few movies to watch that feel like real standouts. Um sure. there are also some ones where I was just like, meh, you know, kind of so so on. So I feel like like any other genre. Um but it's it's cool going into a genre that I like was not really that familiar with and then getting I feel like a pretty good uh, like scatter plot of examples of movies within that genre. Mm-hmm. It's, it's only I mean, thing we did. We, we, we've we've covered the gambit here. <laughs> yeah, we just haven't done any like. <laughs> think the last thing to do would be like like Oklahoma or something like a musical, like a western, musical. <laughs> sure. or like a frontier movie or yeah, something, something like that. <laughs> did you ever go back and watch uh, the ending or that shootout in Back to the Future Three? Oh no, I didn't. But did you ever check that out? I remember bits of it. Uh, no, but I uh, can I recommend a John Wayne movie to you? As it's a western, it's John Wayne, James Stewart, and Lee Marvin. It's the man who shot Liberty Valance. Oh, is that another John Ford movie? Isn't it? I, uh, I think it is. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, it's a badass movie. It's really good. Um. I, I, I like westerns, and uh, I've seen a decent amount of these before. Like I'd seen the new Three Ten to Yuma. I'd seen the new uh, um, Magnificent Seven. I've seen Tombstone a bunch. Uh, <clears throat> seen Fistful of Dollars, um, but now seeing like the original or like the uh, version one of those two, Three um, Ten to Yuma, Seven Samurai, My Darling Clementine. Um, Seeing the performances and the way that they were using cinematography and the way that they were acting and the chemistry that early act like actors had and trying to like figure out how this movie should be and the themes that they wanted to represent, um, I think I have a better sense of why I like westerns now. Specifically, like why I enjoy like samurai and western films. It's interesting seeing some of the like. It's like in the original 310 to Yuma that there's that one, the second in command guy who doesn't have as big of a part as Ben Foster does in the remake. But just like seeing how stylized his costume and like look was, was very interesting. I was like, this movie's from the fifties and he looks like this. It's very interesting. Um, seeing like, Oh, they've been doing the like cool, well-dressed cowboy thing for a long time. (laughs) Right. Right. It's fun seeing stuff yeah, like that. Um, and also seeing like when the when the genre was a little more happy go lucky, you know, like my darling Clementine and 
310 to Yuma both have the same sort of like nothing that crazy nothing like nothing too bad has happened i know our little brother dies in the intro uh, but we're all pretty we're all pretty chill after that right they definitely end on like a massive uptick yeah for sure it's them like happily like, riding that's a very western ending too like everything's got a little bow on it and we're riding out of town and uh some folks died but i got to shake my best gal's hand <laughs> that'll keep me keep me true <laughs> that'll keep me true for the six months on away because yeah. like the funny thing is is that if, if, if he's Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday is there and all that technically after like he shakes Clementine's hand he's going on his vendetta ride like he's gonna track down the cowboy gang and eliminate them now yeah it may be in that one I don't know <laughs> it's hard like it's goofier trying to figure out which one is more fictionalized because, like, one of them just takes place in totally the wrong time, and then the other one is, like, made-up people uh, <laughs> dressing right. up these events. So. Um, well, Alex, uh, do you have any final words, comments, thoughts, or anything? Ooh. Smoke that skin wagon. <laughs> Such a bad dude. <laughs> gonna stand there and bleed. <laughs> so, oh god, it's it felt real bad for Billy Bob Thornton in that moment. I know he's like a little bit of a heel or whatever, but God, he just berates the ever loving shit out of him. <laughs> so, and then he fucking like insult to injury when he grabs him by the ear and twists it. Yeah, to, like lure him out of the soul like five times. And he's like, "What are you gonna do? Cry, you little fucking bitch!" And then he also makes him give up his so gun good. later. Um, yeah. Oh, I need to know. I need to learn how to play Pharaoh. That's my takeaway. Okay. I need to learn how to play Pharaoh. Yeah. So, um, well, do you have any final words for the audience, Alex? Or here's <laughs> no. I think I don't know any random quote from this movie, but Smoke That Skin Wagon is pretty good. And um, we will see you guys not next week, because that's Christmas, the week after. Christmas. Okay, cool. That podcast is filling your head with garbage. You should be in school. Well, we better get going. I wonder, will we ever see each other again? Who knows? God willing, we'll all meet again in Spaceballs too. Search for more money.